0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. It is a steamy day here in the Northeast. Uh, We are headed up into the 90s with oppressive humidity. Yeah, good good day to be inside, but it could be worse. Uh, The folks down in the Carolinas... Uh, taken a beating uh, from Tropical Storm Claudette, so uh, uh, hopefully uh, it's supposed to leave today, so hopefully uh, uh, folks are okay down there, but it has been a difficult uh, 24 hours down in the uh, southeast of the United States. Uh, Lots to get to this morning. Spent a lot of time watching the U.S. Open yesterday. I always love to watch the U.S. Open because you get to see professional golfers a lot of times hit shots that you and I would hit, hacking around, you know, our uh, our local uh, club. So um, it was uh, fun. It was uh, – you felt bad for some guys, but uh, you didn't have to feel bad for John Rahm. He wins the U.S. Open yesterday, um, birdied his last two holes while the rest of the field basically uh, imploded, wet themselves, uh, panicked, whatever it is you want to use, um, it was uh, a strange finish. With about nine holes to play, maybe eight holes to play, if you looked at the leaderboard, there were a dozen guys within a shot or two of the lead. I mean, it was crazy, and you're thinking, man, this is going to be a nutso finish. Well, within about three holes after that, Maybe four, yeah, about three holes after that, you suddenly realize now nope, this is a two-horse race. Why? Because guys, just—I mean, it was ugly. Um, and Rom with those big birdies late. Louis Oosthuizen, his last two holes were disastrous. Hit a ball into a penalty area. I mean, just uh, on the 18th hole, he needed an eagle. To have a chance to tie, he had no shot because his tee shot went in the penalty area. He had to take a drop, and then just had to lay up. And and, I mean, it was just. uh, But nobody, and I mean nobody, collapsed the way that Bryson DeChambeau did. Now I know it's not a very Christian thing of me, and it's probably not a very nice thing of me. Well, I know it's not a nice thing, but. If there is a guy I root against more than Bryson DeChambeau in any sport, I don't know who it would be. I (laughs) – this guy yesterday was tied for the lead at five under par. He played eight over par in his final seven holes – Wound up three over par for the tournament, ladies and gentlemen. It couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And look, I understand he's talented. I understand he won the U.S. Open last year. He was trying to become back, you know, back to back for the, you know, I think only the uh, uh, maybe the second time or the first. No, the first time I think. No, check that. It would have been the third time since World War II for somebody to win back to back U.S. Opens. But this is a guy that thinks he's smarter than everybody else. And you know what? Maybe he is. But even if he is, you don't need to walk around and talk about it. Shut up. You know, he's one of those guys that just bugs the crap out of me because he's trying to uh, basically change the way the game of golf is played. And he's basically saying, I have the secret sauce and I'm going to show you how it's done. Well, here's the thing. He can hit the ball a million miles. He looks like the Incredible Hulk. He took the the benefit of the uh, pandemic and uh, bulked up, put on 30 pounds of beef. By the way, I wonder if anybody's done a drug test. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Put on, you know, all kinds of muscle. He looks like, uh, you know, John Cena on the golf course. And stands up and just absolutely rips the ball. Well, here's the problem. You can hit it a million miles, but if you don't hit it straight, it doesn't mean a hill of beans. And Bryson DeChambeau has a problem with hitting it straight. So yesterday he just, there was was one, I think, I want to say it was the 15th, 14th, it was a par 5. He just, uh, he looked like me. You know, hit it in the rough, try to hit it out of the rough. Guess what? Back in the rough. Tries to hit it out of the rough a second time. It lands in a trap. I'm thinking, I've been there. I've done that. You know, and just was awful. So that was great. I mean, and, and I, you know what? Him and Brooks Kepka, guy. root against both of them. You know, this petty little feud. Jeff Jacobs had a column this weekend, uh, and uh, down in the, uh, on the shoreline in the, uh, and i you know basically like hey they're both coming to the travelers we want them paired together no baloney i don't want that let's not feed into this crap because you know what it's childish oh he photobombed me oh he walked by me with spikes cut it out jesus grow up it's freaking golf we, what do we, we do? we're gonna have a we're gonna have a a hockey fight and golf cut it out so jeff you know and i i listen i respect jeff jacobs a lot but the last thing I want to see are those two morons paired up together. You know, and so, uh, you know, and I was, uh, you know, yesterday I said, look, I really don't care who wins as long as it's not Bryson DeChambeau or Brooks Kepka. and that's really how I felt. I didn't care. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, I'm glad John Rahm won. Very likable guy. Now, you know, you felt bad for him a few weeks ago when, you know, He's leading a tournament by five or six strokes and has to pull out because he uh, tested positive for COVID. But this is a guy that had an opportunity to get a shot months earlier and chose to wait until the last minute to get it. And he, I, I think he tested positive like three or four days after he got the first vaccine shot. But, hey, it is what it is. Uh, it was at the Memorial a couple of weeks ago. You know, and uh, I, and uh, and look, this is a guy, that he's, he's, he's a Spaniard. He's got a temper. Um, but... He's also a likable dude, you know. He's got a young son. Uh, I felt like he handled what happened to him uh, at the memorial the best way you possibly could in a in a horrible situation. I thought the PGA Tour handled how they told him poorly, but this is a guy. Yesterday, I mean, I just enjoyed watching him play. I enjoyed his fire when he hit that long birdie putt. And look, it was when he hit. He looked like he was just trying to get it on the green, he had, he had, was in the bunker, and instead of going at the hole, he kind of played it out to the right because he knew if he went for the hole, there was a chance. I think it was the 17th hole. If he went at the hole, there was a chance that ball was going to roll straight off the green and into the little pond that was on the backside of the green. So he did the smart thing, played it out to the right. It was a long putt. I figured he had no shot to make it. He buried it. He's pumped. And you know it was it was fun to watch it you know and and it was the site of where he had won his first ever tournament. Tory Pines. So obviously he has a soft spot in his heart for that. Um, I felt bad for Louis Oosthuizen. He didn't play poorly, but I think the pressure got to him a little bit. I think when Rom hit that long birdie putt, there's. I mean, you know, he could you he could hear. The crowd explode. He's at a scoreboard right by him, so he knew what happened, and I think the pressure got to him a little bit. And This is a guy that's usually pretty unflappable. But be that as it may, you know, uh, it was a great finish to the tournament. Uh, Rory McElroy had a chance, and uh, he uh, he had the same problem. You know, he uh, made a bogey, a three-putt bogey on the 11th hole. He was only a shot behind, right? So uh, he makes a three putt bogey on 11. And then on 12, he hits a ball into the bunker and it's on the downslope of the back part of the bumper. As soon as I saw that, I turned to my wife. I said, There is no chance he's getting this ball out of the bunker. You just knew it. And if he did, it was going to be, you know, go a mile because he was just going to scull the ball. You know, and predictably, he didn't get out of the bunker. Maybe, well, Technically, I guess he did. He got it to the front lip of the bunker, and it went into the heavy grass. He ends up with a double bogey on 12. So he bogeys 11, double bogey on 12. His tournament's over. Mackenzie Hughes, another guy. He's a shot back after nine holes. And, and I mean, again, one of these things you got to – and the, the, the golf gods just got him. You know, Mackenzie Hughes, he's on a par three hole. He hits the tee shot. It bounces on the cart path, bounces up into a tree, and doesn't come down. He ends up with a penalty stroke, takes a double bogey. He's done. Colin Morikawa, another guy, shot behind, 13th hole, double bogey. He's done. I mean, it was just implosion after implosion after implosion. So... (laughs) Uh, you know, well. So again, you felt bad for some of these guys. I felt bad for Rory. He hadn't won him. He hasn't won a major in what seven years, something like that. And he played well all weekend. Two bad holes, done. And Bryson DeChambeau, ha. Brooks Kepka, you know, just uh, inconsistent as well. But good for John Rahm. ten-month-old uh, uh, son in his arms. Wife was there. Uh, it had to feel good after his dad was there. It had to feel good after what happened at the Memorial. Um, so, uh, congratulations to him. And now uh, we turn our attention to the Travelers Championship, which will be here in Cromwell, Connecticut, starting on Thursday. Of course, there's a whole week full of events There's a pro-am on Wednesday, but the tournament starts on Thursday. Huge, Uh, field. A lot of big names. Of course, Phil Mickelson will be here as well. Bubba Watson, who had a pretty good tournament, struggled. I think he had a 73 on the last day, but he was in contention for a while. Um, you know, as again, Kept Good, DeShambo going to be here. So it'll be uh, uh, fun to watch. They're going to allow 10,000 people per day. I thought about going, and I just uh eh, eh. <laughs> my old age, I guess. Uh, so anyway, but, uh, we're going to have Sam Doster on. We had him on for a few minutes the other day to talk about the U S open, but we're going to have him on probably Wednesday or Thursday. I've got a to touch base with him today, uh, to talk about, uh, the upcoming tournament, looking forward to it. And it's going to be nice. Uh, it's always been, uh, the PGA tours, the players, uh, many times have voted it, um, as their favorite tournament of the year. And uh, I don't expect that this will be any different, and it's going to be great to have fans back in the stands once again. So that will be starting on Thursday. Uh, All right, so now we turn our attention to baseball. And uh, the Boston Red Sox started uh, Sunday in first place in the American League East, half a game ahead of Tampa, and they had uh, just beaten – Kansas City on Saturday, 7-1 after losing Friday night's game. So they're going for the series win, which, you know, to me, and I've talked about this is key. You know, all the Sox have to do is win series. Just win every series between now and the end of the year, and you're in the World Series. Because not only are you going to be in the playoffs, but if you win every playoff series, you're in the World Series. You win that, and you know, you win that series, and guess what? You're going home with a trophy. So series wins are huge. And it's the Kansas City Royals. Now look, the Royals are not an awful team. But it's still a team, if you're Boston, you've got to be able to win that series. Going into this series, Kansas City was 30 wins and 37 losses. Red Sox were 14 games over 500. You've got to be able to win two out of three against these guys, right? Well, yesterday, the Sox were just dreadful. Now, they were only charged with one error. But... Their play in the field was just atrocious. Nathan Avaldi, not good yesterday. Seven hits, four runs, and four innings. Now he was, you know, a recipient of an error on uh, a, a, a ground ball that Bobby Dalbeck should have handled, didn't, and that led to an unearned run, but he wasn't good. His location was terrible. You know, look, it was 93 degrees. In Kansas City, it was a brutally hot weekend. You know, maybe that had a factor, but Native Aldi's now lost his last two decisions after having won four in a row. And Mike Miner, who can't break a pane of glass, you know, ends up going six and two-thirds, only gets charged with two runs. The Sox just couldn't get hits when they needed to. They left ten guys on base. Miner allowed nine hits and a walk in six and two-thirds, but every time the Sox had a guy in scoring position, they couldn't do anything. They left 10 on base. They were 1 for 7 with runners in scoring position. You know, I mean, just, uh, you know, and then and the bullpen didn't help. Darwins and Hernandez ends up giving up a run, a couple of hits. Yaxel Rios, who the hell is he? A guy they picked up off the scrap heap. Right? <laughs> I think from uh, Seattle. Gives up a bomb. Four hits, two runs in two thirds of an inning. I mean, come on! And then we run Matt Andrees out there, who's cannon fodder as well, you know. And I get it, you know. The Sox bullpen has taken a beating lately, but they had an off day this week. They have another off day today, you know. To me, you gotta go, you know. Now Garrett Whitlock wasn't available because they pitched him for a few innings on Saturday, but you can't keep throwing out these guys. You can't keep, you know, uh, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, Darwin's and Hernandez, all right. But, you know, Yaxel Rios, they got, they got another guy, I can't remember the name, that they picked up off the scrap heap the last 10 days. You know, and that's what we've got in the bullpen. And and Matt Andrees, I'd, I'd like to shoot him into the sun. You know, and so I, I get it, but at some point, Alex Cora's got to come to the realization, and maybe not just Alex Cora, but he's got to have, sit out, have a talk with, <laughs> with Heimblum and say, look, we've got to make some changes somewhere. You know, we have got to decide that, for instance, Marwin Gonzalez is a failed experiment, that Danny Santana is a failed experiment. Uh, Matt Corey, friend of our show, that's been on here with us a few times, had a great column this morning. I recommend it. If you haven't subscribed to Sox Outside, you really should do so. Um, but he, uh, he said, you know, this morning he said, "Look, you know, it's time for the Red Sox to stop the madness and to start realizing that they are going to have to make some moves." Marwin Gonzalez is hitting 195. Marwin Gonzalez last year with Minnesota hit 211. Marwin Gonzalez in his career has had, you know, a couple of decent years, but he's four or five years removed from that. And it has, you know, become painfully evident that he is an albatross around the neck of this Red Sox offense. There was hope for Danny Santana, you know, Now and and I, I'll give Danny Santana a little bit more leeway simply because, you know, he didn't start playing until a few weeks ago. He spent the first part of the season on the disabled list because of uh, a foot issue that kept him out of uh, spring training as well. So I'll give him a little bit more rope. But it's time for the Sox to pull the plug on Marwin Gonzalez. So, and I don't know if they will, but they need to. And why do they need to? Because the Red Sox need to immediately, and I mean immediately, get to Worcester and get young Jaron Duran up to the big club. It's time. Look, Duran's 24 years old. He's kicked her out in the minor leagues for a few years. He's got the experience that he needs down there, and he has shown that he can hit the ball. He's in A in Worcester. He hit a walk-off home run to the opposite field yesterday to win the game in the 10th inning. He is tearing the cover off the ball in Worcester. He's slugging 627 in 30 games in A. He had multiple hits in six of his seven games before yesterday. He's got 12 home runs down there. It's time. The 12 home runs is the second most in the Triple A. You know, come on. Get him up. Let him play. Put him in there every day and put him at the top of the lineup. It could serve two purposes a you get a legitimate leadoff hitter you get another guy that can contribute to this offense because lord knows you know there's been a dearth of that although some guys are starting to pick it up it's been great to see uh, bobby dahlbeck hitting the ball the over this weekend at kansas city he looked great he had a great weekend let's hope to hell he can continue it this week when they have to play the rays and the yankees But get him up. And then you stick him in left field every day. You put Alex Verdugo back in center field every day. Hunter Renfro in right field every day, period. And then Kike Hernandez, and I get that, you know, the outfield is his best position, but you still, you use him as your fourth outfielder, but you play him at second base and he becomes a bat off the bench you know and kike had a nice home run yesterday he had a couple of hits but he's only hitting 233 you know anything you get from him has been a bonus duran has shown that it looks like he is ready to contribute so let's get it done i don't know if they will but it needs to happen and maybe they're going to wait maybe they want to wait to bring him to Fenway and have him start at Fenway, you know, so maybe they leave him in Worcester for a few more days this week, but they're coming home to play the Yankees. For the first time this year, the Yankees will be at Fenway Park. So that would be the perfect time to bring that young man up to the big club. So let's get it done. A couple other notes about yesterday. Uh, collision in the outfield between Kike Hernandez and Christian Arroyo. Arroyo had to leave the game. And he has a bone bruise on his shin just below the kneecap. They don't think that he's going to end up on the injured list, but we'll see how he responds today. He had to be helped off the field. Kike Hernandez, by the way, they zoomed in on it on Nesson. He had like a contusion or a sweat. His, his, his uh, right leg had a huge knot on the shin where it collided uh, with the knee area of Arroyo. So he didn't come out of it unscathed either. And then Kevin Ploiecki had to leave the game as well with a hamstring injury, and they're actually more concerned about him. So uh, Christian Vasquez, who thought he was going to get the day off, ended up having to play. So the Red Sox are probably going to have to go down to the minors and get somebody. It probably means Colton Wong. I would think. Um, you know, The problem is is that they don't have a lot of options at the catcher position. Connor Wong and Ronaldo Hernandez are the two guys on the Red Sox 40-man roster that could replace Ploiecki with no problem, you just call him up. They do have some guys with major league experience down there. They've got Chris Herman and Jet Bandi, or Jeff Bandy. The problem is... Is that in order to bring them up, you have to make a forty-man roster move and expose somebody uh, to waivers? I don't think they want to do that. So we might see Connor Wong. You know, uh, Hernandez is in Double A. Wong is at Triple A, but he hasn't. Look, he hasn't. He hasn't been. You know, hitting the ball. But really, if you're going to bring him up for ploecki he's coming up to be your backup catcher. He's coming up to be your emergency guy. You know, maybe day game after a night game he gets a start. You know, it's not like you're bringing him up and planning on uh, throwing him to the Wolves immediately. Uh, but we'll see. But it looks like the injury to Ploiecki yesterday might be uh, the worst of the two. Uh, one, other, one other quick note. Jerry Remy back in the booth yesterday for the Red Sox. Great to see after having to leave with shortness of breath. Spent a few days in the hospital. Nobody seems to quite know what it was. Uh, but uh, Remy sounded like Remy yesterday. It was great. And uh, no eck in the booth yesterday. They had uh, uh, Tim Wakefield came out of the uh, the pregame show and did the game. And, by the way, he was good. I wouldn't mind hearing Tim Wakefield on more games either. I thought he was very, very good. So it is 31 minutes past Yeah, we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about why the Red Sox are still in first place despite the subpar effort yesterday. Back in a minute, you're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. Uh, Programming note, no show tomorrow. Uh, So I will not be here on Tuesday, but we'll be back on Wednesday and uh, here for the rest of the week. But uh, no show uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, By the way, I hope everybody had a great Father's Day. You know, it's funny, I was... uh, realized last night i'm sitting uh my wife had gone to bed barb's not feeling well she's got a summer cold which is really what you want uh but uh you know the good news is you know i was it was we were laughing about it but it's like and i was like thank god you know you know you, now it's like a cold you're like oh thank god you got a cold you know it was not covid uh but she got a head cold and so that hasn't been a lot of fun so she'd gone to bed early and i'm, I'm sitting last night and i realized not only was it Father's Day, but yesterday would have been my dad's birthday, and I, you know, my dad's been gone for nine years now. But, uh, uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, you are getting old, and uh, I, I'm in many ways, in many ways, and I, I'm hoping in the good ways. Although I guess my wife could probably tell you better. Uh, every year I go by, I think I I become more like my father, uh, you know. I so I don't know whether that's good or bad, but uh, I still my dad's been gone nine years and I still, um, probably once a week want to pick up the phone and I'll think about something. I'll be like, ah, let me call my father. And I don't know, maybe this never goes away. I don't know. Uh, but I was like, you know, I'd love to be able to pick up the phone and call my dad. You know, he passed away from lung cancer. He was only 73 years old. So in my mind, he should still be here. So I think maybe that's, maybe that's my problem. But uh, anyway, so I hope you all had a great uh, father's day. um, So the Red Sox, despite stinking yesterday, remain a half a game up on the Tampa Bay Rays, and that is because the Rays lost their sixth straight game yesterday. This was a team that had the best record in baseball a week ago, and all of a sudden they can't get out of their own way. They got swept in a four-game series by the Seattle Mariners. Seattle Mariners that are suddenly very hot and they're trying to stay in the race in the AL West, but they're still six and a half games back of uh, Houston and Oakland. That's despite with the four wins in a row over Tampa. Uh, But uh, Shed Long Jr. (laughs) Yeah, I said the same thing. Who? Shed Long Jr. with a grand slam home run in the bottom of the 10th inning to send uh, Mariner fans home happy as they beat Tampa uh, yesterday by a final of 6-2. to two. Um, uh, McClanahan got the start for Tampa, was really good, and the bullpen did a good job, but uh, Diego Castillo uh, with a very rough 10th inning. Of course, they already start with a guy on base, right? But he then you walk somebody, he gives up a couple of hits, including the grand slam, and see you later. Uh, Marco Gonzalez, a solid start for Seattle, and then an outstanding job, three and two-thirds out of the bullpen. Uh, four guys. Walked just one batter, gave up no hits in three and two-thirds innings. So uh, a great win uh, by the Seattle Mariners. By the way, it was just the first home run of the season uh, for Shed Long, who actually had started the season on the injured list with a stress fracture in his right uh, right shin. So he'd only played 11 games uh, since returning. So uh, uh, Tampa in a slide. Well, now we have the showdown because the Red Sox – Head to Tampa to take on the Rays. And then, of course, as I said this weekend, they've got the Yankees. Last year, the Red Sox had four wins and 16 losses against the combination of the Rays and the Yankees. Four and 16. This year, the Red Sox are 6-0 and in games against Tampa and the Yankees. So, you know, which is great. But at the same time, you're going, oh, you know, the law of averages says this can't continue, right? I mean, you just just know that at some point, uh, the party's got to end. And uh, so the Rays are going to bring up the number one overall prospect in all of baseball to face the Boston Red Sox this week. Wander Franco, who is the consensus number one for the last two years, he's only 20 years old, is going to come up and make his Major League debut on Tuesday against the Boston Red Sox. He's uh, The last time a number one overall prospect came up uh, was uh, Vlad Jr. a couple years ago. So Wander Franco is the most anticipated call-up since then. Even more anticipated probably than, believe it or not, than Fernando Tatis Jr., who is, you know, according to most people, the greatest things in sliced bread, who, by the way, is hurt again. Um, Can't seem to stay on the field uh, lately, and you feel bad for him because what a talent if they could keep him healthy. Uh, But anyway, so Wander Franco is coming up, and – he has been absolutely tearing up AAA pitching this season. He's hitting 315. His uh, OPS is 954. He's got seven homers, six triples, 11 doubles. Uh, and he's only struck out 21 times in 39 games, which, you know, for baseball in 2021 is nothing short of a miracle, right? So uh, the Red Sox are going to see. The number one overall prospect now, where he'll play, we'll have to see. Um, maybe shortstop, maybe third base. Uh, don't know. You know they've worked him out of different places, but the Rays already kind of have the corners covered. They've already got a shortstop, but they're going to find a way for this uh, a place for this kid to play, and uh, he will be up for the game on Tuesday. So that will be interesting. Uh, the Yankees pull closer. To the Rays, they are now four-and-a-half back of Boston, four back of Tampa, as the uh, Yankees end up beating Oakland 2-1 to yesterday, and they did it with another triple play. I mean, it's ridiculous. They now have three triple plays this season, which ties a major league record. But they have turned those three triple plays in the last month in over a 31-day stretch, they have turned three triple plays—the shortest span ever for three by, uh, by any major league team. It was an around-the-horn five-four-three triple play. It bailed out our oldest Chapman, who had gotten himself into trouble. He had walked a couple of guys, wasn't right yesterday. He broke a nail on his uh, on his pitching and the middle finger of his pitching hand, and ended up having to have a trainer come out to look at it. Stayed in the game and then faced Sean Murphy after the trainer came out. The second pitch of the at-bat, he hit it right at Gio Urshela at third base. It was the easiest triple play you ever want to say because it was hit so hard. Urshela stepped on third around the horn. D.J. LeMahieu back to the first baseman and got uh, Murphy by a step, and the game is over. Merry Christmas. So the Yankees back to five games over five hundred. Uh, Oakland falls to 44-29. and 29. They are now in a flat-footed tie in the National League West with the Houston Astros. Great game, you know, and uh, Aroldis Chapman the day before, by the way, on Saturday, threw a pitch 103.6 miles an hour. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. But yesterday, you could tell, you know, and maybe it was the heat, Maybe it was the fact that he had overexerted himself the day before. He topped out at 98 yesterday, which, by the way, is nothing to sneeze at. But for a guy that's usually in triple digits, he obviously wasn't right yesterday. And the triple play uh, was was a godsend for him. He picked up his 16th save of the season. Uh, Oakland wasted a pretty good starting performance by Sean Manaya, struck out 11. Uh, and the bullpen was pretty good. But uh, they just couldn't score. The A's managed just four hits in this game, two of them by Matt Olson, who hit his 20th home run of the season off of uh, Jeff Montgomery in the first inning. But that was it. Oakland was done after that. So the Athletics now will uh, head to Texas to take on the Rangers for four games. They should be able to get themselves healthy there. And the Yankees open up a three-game series at home against the Kansas City Royals, who the Red Sox just played. Garrett Cole is going to get the start for the Yankees in that game. He is 8-3 and three with a 2-3-1 ERA. Uh, elsewhere around the American League East, the Toronto Blue Jays with a win yesterday. They got themselves back to the 500 mark, but they are still 7 behind the Red Sox, 6.5 behind Tampa, and they're 3 behind the Yankees. So Toronto's sitting... In fourth place, but finally gets back to the 500 mark. They beat the Baltimore Orioles, but then again, who doesn't? Uh, Matt Harvey got the start for Baltimore again, and it has gotten to be, um, sad, sad, ridiculous. You know, and I thought about this last night. If you're Matt Harvey. At what point do you say, I, I can't take this anymore? Or do you just go out there and, and, you know, and I guess if you're a professional athlete, you always believe that the next game is the one where you're going to turn it around, where you're finally going to figure it out. Uh, Harvey allowed four runs and nine hits yesterday in four and a third innings. Uh, he now has an ERA of uh, 7.8. He's 3-9. and nine. I mean, they're throwing this guy out there every fifth day. But in his last nine starts, Okay, think about this. He was 3 and 1 at one point this season. Had an ERA right around uh, 4. In his last 9 starts, he is 0 and 8 with an ERA of 11.49. He has not completed 5 innings in that span. So since May the 7th, he has not completed 5 innings in a game. It is absolutely unbelievable. But he still keeps running them out. They still keep running them out there. The, the, uh, the Orioles now with the worst record in the American League 23 and 48. If not for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they have the worst record in baseball. I mean, it's just absolutely brutal. Uh, and uh, Toronto got a great start from Hinjin Ryu. Seven innings, three hits, just one run. Uh, and he picked up his sixth win of the season. Uh, Toronto has the day off today. They have a two game series at Miami. And uh, the Orioles, they get to uh, uh, take on the Houston Astros. Good luck. It's 45 minutes past the hour. we got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 47 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning surprise visitor. Not to the show, but to the house. My, my wife just showed up. <laughs> Not feeling well, so uh, she came home early and it head cold really kind of kicking her butt. So, um, anyway, got a few things to get to this morning before we head out. Uh, Kyle Larson with another win yesterday, his fourth of the year. Uh, he won the cup race at the Nashville super speedway. Um, he led 264 of the 300 laps on Sunday. Uh, it's his third consecutive win. As I said, fourth overall, uh, Rick Hendricks cars have now, uh been to victory lane six consecutive weeks uh dating all the way back to Alex Bowman's win on uh, May the 9th uh at Dover. So uh, a great win for Larson and look, this is a guy that uh uh was I don't know. I guess the only way to put it he was, you know, on un- a guy that was suspended. Wasn't sure uh you know what his future w- was. And here he is now with more wins than anybody else in NASCAR this year. So uh, good for him. Uh, And again, you know, if you're one of those people that believes in second chances, it's a guy you got to root for a little bit. Uh, NHL action yesterday, and uh, Vegas and Montreal now tied at two apiece. The uh, Golden Knights with a 2-1 win last night to even the series up. These uh, Montreal Canadiens... Very, very pesky. A lot of people thought that that northern division with just the Canadian teams in it was weak. Montreal has come down and uh, showed them uh, not so much. So uh, a great win yesterday. Nicholas Waugh with a goal, 118, into overtime to tie the series up. Game five is in Vegas, and that will be coming up on uh, Tuesday night. Um, Today is the start of the umpires checking baseballs in MLB Uh, and you know it's uh, Garrett Cole is on the mound you know he he has said yesterday in an interview he doesn't know what to expect he said look you know uh, we'll see he said uh, and it's going to be one of these uh, the umpires are going to be checking all starters and it says multiple times so I don't know what that means. My guess is they're going to check the starter in the dugout before he comes out to start the game, and then there'll be some kind of spot check during the game. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. Nobody really knows. And I got to believe they're going to do it in the dugout. I can't believe they're going to, like, be frisking guys on the mound. But who knows? Uh, And it says that they're going to check all relievers either at the end of his first inning of work or when they are removed, whichever occurs first. And they're going to check the caps, Uh, baseball gloves, and fingertips. So if that's the case, you know, and, and, you know, if obviously the fingertips would be the first thing you check because if you're using some kind of sticky substance, even if, you know, you don't do it every time, there's still going to be residue on your fingers. If they get caught, it is 10 days. They get paid, but they get ejected from the game, get suspended for 10 days, and the teams cannot replace them. So we'll see. It's going to be kind of a a new world. Uh, but they've got to figure this out. And, you know, there was a debate yesterday uh, on the Red Sox game with uh, Tim Wakefield, of course, who was a Major League Baseball pitcher. and But Tim Wakefield said, look, it, for me, it wasn't really a big deal. I was a knuckleballer. I only had one pitch. It wasn't like I had to worry about spin rate. I didn't want the ball to spin. You know, so for – but – but Jerry Remy, who was a hitter, he said, look, he dis- Jerry Remy says he does not have an issue with pitchers using some kind of sticky substance. He said, but for him, when they use this spider tack, which is, I guess, really, really, really sticky, you know, he said that goes to the realm of. Of, to him, that's cheating. If you're using a rosin and a sunscreen just to get a better grip, he said I, he didn't have a problem with that. It's the guys that are going beyond that. And he said, look, guys that are, you know, if you're scuffing a baseball, uh, you know, if you're using Vaseline or something that's making the ball do things it wouldn't normally do, to him, that's not an issue. He said to have the sticky substance on your hand, it gives you better control. And if it gives you some better spin rate, so what? You know, he said it, basically what he said was deal with it to the batters. Now, it's easy for him to say now he's, about, you know, 40 years removed from playing. But but I, I get I get the sentiment, and, you know, there is concern whether guys are going to be able to uh, lose control, you know, or whether they're going to, you know, Garrett, Garrett uh, Richards for the Red Sox plunked a couple of guys the other day. His RPMs were way down. You knew he wasn't using anything. You knew, and he wasn't, his control wasn't there. Well, you know what? Figure it out. To me, I don't think they should be able to use anything besides rosin, you know. Frankly, unless Major League Baseball legislates something, I don't think they should be able to use anything besides the rosin bag, period. I don't care. That's what the rules are. Now, if baseball comes up with some kind of substance that's that's legal, great. It's kind of like the NFL. They, were, they stopped people from uh, spraying, uh, like, uh, you know, sticky stuff all over uniforms to help them catch footballs. You know, there's only so much that you can do. And, and, uh, you know, there's been talk about Major League Baseball coming up with some kind of a substance on the cover of the ball, you know, that when the balls are manufactured, they're slightly tacky or slightly, uh, you know, got some kind of a grip to them so that they're not, you know, slippery. I mean, look, if you've ever looked at a brand new baseball, if you've ever picked one up, there's no question that they are slippery. You know, so to offset that, the, games, the, the balls are always rubbed up with uh, some kind of mixture. It used, it used to be mud. I don't know if it still is, but it used to be a special mud from like Chesapeake Bay uh, that all baseballs were rubbed up with. Uh, and I don't know if they're still using that mud or whatever, but the balls are still rubbed up to take the shine and the sheen off of it, and it doesn't scuff them up, but it takes away some of the slipperiness. Well, you know, the th- the thought is, is that perhaps – they can come up with some substance to put on the balls when they're manufactured, and then we don't ever have to worry about this again. Uh, so we'll see how this goes the rest of the year, and I think that's going to dictate what happens with this whole issue and with the uh, the surface of the baseballs going forward after this year. It's just strange that they did it in the middle of the season. I get that. But at the end of the day, cheating is cheating, and they got to stop it. Uh, one other note before we get out of here this morning, Jacob DeGrom is going to make the start for the Mets tonight. So despite my pleas to the Mets to give this guy a day off, I don't care what the MRI said, why not give him an extra day off or you know, an extra turn in the or five days off, miss a turn in the rotation or two to protect this guy for the rest of the season. He is going to go out there and make the start tonight for the Mets uh, in one of the games of the doubleheader against the Atlanta Braves. Uh, obviously, it's going to be the most watched uh, <laughs> pitcher uh, all season. I mean, there's no question about that. They do not need this guy hurt. And, look, he's uh, got an 0.54 ERA, He's 6-2 and in 11 starts, 111 strikeouts, 60-70. The numbers are ridiculous. But he's 33 years old. He's had three different injuries this year. Related to that arm, one on the side, then on the elbow, then on the shoulder. I mean, and this has all been in the last few weeks. If that doesn't tell you it is time to give this guy a rest, I don't know what uh, what does. And if to me, this shows a lack of guts by Mets management by not saying to Degrom, "We're going to give you a day off," or a turn in the rotation off. The Mets have the leeway to do that they have a four game lead in the National League East. I understand that Atlanta is one of the teams that's chasing them and you're playing them in a doubleheader today. I get that. You, you know, it's an important series, but at the end of the day, what happens in August and September is much more important than what happens today. So, we'll see what they're going to do and, you know, I don't know if the fact that the Mets lost yesterday, you know, played into that at all. They got whacked around by by the Washington Nationals, only because uh, Kyle Schwarber went off, hit three home runs off of him yesterday. Uh, I don't know if that plays into it or not, but I think this could be a mistake. I hope he doesn't get hurt. I hope he's fine. Baseball needs him to be fine. Uh, But I think the Mets are really rolling the dice here this evening. That's going to do it for us here this morning. No show tomorrow. We'll be back on Wednesday with another edition of The Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Luke Bryan. This one's called Waves. We'll see you Wednesday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.